It is Friday, so let's recap this week's news. The state budget recently signed into law by Governor Chris Sununu, advances conservative priorities on taxes, abortion, and schools. Now, state institutions are working out how to implement these changes, including New Hampshire's education system. The budget places limits on training and teaching about racism, sexism, and other forms of oppression in schools. Our top story for the week, how are the state schools and parents approaching these new limits around what can be discussed in the classroom? And joining us this week to talk more about this is NHPR's education reporter, Sarah Gibson, and New Hampshire Bulletin's education reporter, Ethan DeWitt. Thanks to both of you for joining us. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having us. First, Sarah, I want to go to you. Can you explain more about this new law? Sure. So uh, it basically uh, outlaws kinds of lessons that typically are not taught in the classroom. Uh, Concepts like uh, that people of one category, such as age, gender identity, race, are inherently oppressive um, or that they should be discriminated against. Uh, And it also says that, um, you know, people should not be taught that you um, should, should be taught that you should essentially treat others equally, regardless of those uh, differences, such as age, gender, uh, race, things that are basically protected classes under civil rights law. And it all uh, emerged from uh, something that was called the Divisive Concepts Bill, formerly, and that's based on a Trump executive order that we saw uh, a little less than a year ago in response to certain kinds of diversity trainings that were happening in workplaces, as well as kind of diversification of curricula that, that we were seeing in schools. And we're seeing this in, in various states around the country right now as well. That's right. Yeah, there are measures introduced in dozens of states, and New Hampshire is one of, at this point, about six states that have uh, signed this into law. Okay. Governor Sununu has said that he expects the Department of Education to issue guidance for schools based on the new law. Uh, Ethan, you talked with uh, the Department of Education Commissioner, Frank Edelblue, about this this week. What did you find out from him? Sure. So I should say that this is a, a really important question as I talk to teachers. Everybody is kind of holding their thoughts on this law until they see what this guidance is from the Department of Education. So when I talked to the commissioner, he said that they are coming out with what they're calling a technical advisory. And this is for teachers to kind of get a bit more of a fleshed out idea of how to interpret some of these provisions in the law. Uh, Right now, that technical advisory is is being run by the attorney general's office to make sure that it complies with the law. And it's likely to be released sometime next week. Um, It's interesting that this is a technical advisory and it's not an update to the state's educator code of conduct. Um, That is the, the code that the State Board of Education relies on to determine whether teachers are um, you know, in violation and, and whether there, there should be any kind of credentialing um, impact um, to any of their behaviors. And the reason that's important is that this new law that was passed in the budget um, st- directly stipulates that any violation by a teacher of some of the, of some of the provisions here is a, could be a violation of the Educator Code of Conduct. So when I talked to the commissioner, I asked if they're updating the code of conduct. And he said that he didn't see that as necessary at this point, that this technical advisory is, is really just going to be kind of guidance on what teachers can and cannot um, allow to be said in the classroom. And he was hoping there won't be any ambiguity. But he also did say that it's going to be a matter of interpretation for the teachers. 
And he said, um, quote, you know, they themselves are capable of reading the law and understanding uh, what this means. And so if they have any questions, they can direct them to the department, but he's encouraging teachers to try to kind of reach their own conclusions. So it's, it's sort of a, 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 a little bit of a fraught um, area right now as teachers are right now direct designing their curricula and trying to figure out what this law means for them. Yeah, I imagine that there's 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 some worry here about what's been termed a chilling effect. Sarah, what have you been hearing from teachers about how that might affect uh, how they're designing their lessons this fall? Yeah, well, there are definitely teachers who say, I'm not teaching anything that is outlawed uh, by this by this new provision, so I'm not planning on changing uh, our conversations and the and our lesson plans. However, there are others who've told me, look, the the code of conduct actually requires me to communicate with and treat students in a culturally sensitive manner, and that could very much go against what Ethan just described as kind of this um, invitation for teachers to make up uh, their curricula and their um, and the kind of the standards of discussion in their classroom based on what is a super vague law, particularly given the fact that the code of conduct we're hearing is not going to be updated. Um, so they, some say it's it's really um, kind of antithetical to not only the principles of the school, uh, to be inclusive to all students, to make sure to have uh, conversations that are, are challenging, honest, um, and that maybe make some people uncomfortable, but that are facilitated well by a teacher. Um, and, and so I've also, I, I have heard some examples of teachers who basically say, this is going to be open up, open for interpretation, not only to teachers, but to parents and students. And I just don't want to get close to this. So I've, I have heard of a couple people dropping books from their uh, lesson plans because they just don't want to enter into territory that could be interpreted as violating the law, even if it doesn't. Okay. I want to talk a little bit more about parent reaction in just a moment. But I, I know in the past year, some New Hampshire school districts have pledged to do more to make their schools more equitable for all children, including children of color. Now, some of those initiatives have included more training for staff and teachers about implicit bias and systemic racism. How would this law affect those efforts? We we don't totally know, but it actually does seem... Um like if you're talking about white privilege or asking staff to examine how their white privilege informs the way they teach or certain biases they bring, that could get kind of close to certain conversations um, that maybe aren't explicitly outlawed but are discouraged um, conceptually by, by this bill. So so there are some trainings um, in, that have been in um, in schools in the last year that actually you know parents and others are filing right to know requests about. They say these kind of equity trainings are in fact, um, uh, kind of Trojan horse for a lot of other uh, concepts and liberal indoctrination to be to be in the schools. Um, but it seems like a lot of the trainings could technically still happen. I will say I spoke to uh, Misty Crompton. She's a middle school teacher in Derry, and she said that you know this law is so vague and broad that it could be interpreted to really affect a bunch of um, a bunch of conversations that they have, even about things like social emotional learning. Here she is. Like if social emotional or issues, for example, we've been focusing on in our district that affect learning every day. If those issues are tied to some of these systemic issues, how are we going to address them if we can't talk about them? So I, I've heard that a lot, as I, I imagine Ethan probably has. Um, just we don't really know what conversations we're allowed to have or if there's going to be scrutiny on those conversations. Yeah, Ethan, what have you been hearing? 
Yeah, so I've talked to social studies teachers and, uh, you know, social studies is pr probably differently taught today than how you might remember it. Um, it there's something called the inquiry method that, it, it, and that method is actually used by teachers of, of um, kind of every class. But the inquiry method is, is essentially saying that, um, you know, education is best when students can ask their own questions and kind of um, use their own research and, and be given the tools to try to work through those questions. And, and so that's kind of, um, among the teachers I've talked to, that's sort of the dominant way. There, different teachers use different approaches. A lot of them use this approach called the four corners approach. So um, they kind of encourage a classroom debate by posing a, a, a question and in giving kind of four different answers. Like, should the United States have you know, dropped the atomic bomb in World War II? Should it have dropped um, two of them? Uh, you might have a different answer in every corner. Um, and the idea is to have students kind of use what they've learned and apply critical thinking to, uh, to try to convince their peers of one answer or another. And it, it's sort of a dynamic dialogue. Other teachers I talk to um, use current events a lot. They'll have students kind of find current events and um, you know items from the news. And then they'll talk about the potential historical roots of it. But again, that's very student driven. So some of those teachers, because a lot of their their class, they're organizing their classes around this, they're a little uncertain over where what their role should be with this new law. Because, you know, when you have these kinds of discussions, you can often enter into the territory that is covered by this law. And it might come again, organically from a student, it might not come from a textbook or a reading. And at that point, you know, the teacher is going to be faced with a decision over whether to shut down that discussion prematurely before, uh, you know, it veers into any area that a student might find uncomfortable and might, you know, um, seek uh, uh, an avenue um, of recourse under the law or might allow to keep it going. And so depending on who you talk about about this law, this law either threatens these conversations or encourages them. Um, but teachers are kind of very much uh, in the middle trying to figure out how they can uh, facilitate that. Sure. Yeah. Sarah, what does this debate look like between parents in local school districts? Have you talked with them? Yeah, I've talked to some I've talked to some parents as well as uh, districts that have gotten a lot of feedback from parents. Um, and I, I just want to say, you know, there in this discussion, uh, there can be, uh, I think, a misinterpretation that schools are talking a lot about equity or they've been kind of revamping and overhauling the curricula to have it all focused on race and racism. That is not the case. And so in some cases, there's a, been a half day voluntary training or an elective uh, activity for students that um, they didn't get credit for. And that's actually become, um, you know, that's that's got, gotten a lot of, uh, of attention from from parents, um, some of whom say that the, the focus on race is actually reinforcing reinforcing racism. It's it's encouraging white students to feel bad about themselves and uh, feel silenced for uh, their political beliefs. And um, and certainly there have been parents, you know, showing up to school boards or calling administrators and emailing teachers saying uh, you need to get back to the basics and stop talking at all about all this race and equity stuff. Uh, and so we're certainly seeing momentum building in a couple different districts um, encouraged by conservative activists and conservative organizations that are kind of giving them a, a playbook uh, and training on how to do this. 
Uh, that said, there are definitely families and students that have told districts this year, um, I'm really grateful that you had a conversation um, about the kind of paradoxes in this part of American history or the fact that there are things to be really proud of and then also some historical events that we need to examine and be honest about that um, are not proud moments of our past. Um, so there are certainly districts that are um, getting encouragement from parents and students who say, we're glad that uh, these conversations conversations are happening in the classroom as long as they're well facilitated um, in, in some of the ways that Ethan was describing. Well, it's interesting that you said different districts, you know, teaching about racism and other forms of oppression in the classroom. It's become an, another culture war issue. How does what's happening here in New Hampshire compared to what's happening in other places in other states? Yeah, I, I've actually been listening to and, and reading some stories in other states where this debate is playing out. And you could uh, honestly kind of replace the names of the towns and it looks really similar. Um, you know, a, an incident in which a, uh, say, a student is discouraged from wearing a Blue Lives Matter uh, t-shirt or flag and then um, that person or their family gets on Fox and Friends. It kind of explodes in, in uh conservative media outlets. And then the district gets, you know, emails and calls not only from local constituents, but also from all over the country. So there's a real microscope on on towns um, where this is happening. And in some cases, uh, there are there's national media that, that gives it a lot of attention. Um, and, and that certainly has has happened in, in towns like Exeter, uh, where there have been a couple of incidents regarding COVID restrictions, as well as uh, freedom of speech that have uh, raised the ire and concern of parents, but also just a lot of conservative activists elsewhere. Well, I, there's so much more to talk about here and unpack. And of course, there's so many other uh, news stories and, and, and things to get to. I wish we had more time this morning. NHPR's education reporter, Sarah Gibson, and New Hampshire Bulletin reporter, Ethan DeWitt. I want to thank you both so much for joining me this morning. You're welcome. Great to be here. You, you can find much more of their work, by the way, at NHPR.org and NewHampshireBulletin.com. And tune in to Morning Edition again next Friday morning to hear us recap some big news of the week. I'm Rick Ganley. This is Morning Edition from NHPR.